Hi, this is David Marquez, and you are listening to The Ultimate Spin. Ultimate Spin. This is Ultimate Spin. Welcome to the Spider-Man podcast that looks at a different corner of the web and follows the ongoing adventures of Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen. My name is Brian, and in this episode, we welcome back Superior Spider Talk's Dan Gavazdan for an extended episode as we travel back in time with one version of Miles in Part 3 of Spider-Man 2 and another in Generations, The Spiders. If this is your first time checking out our show, then we invite you to visit ultimatespinpodcast.com, where you can download or stream episodes for pretty much every Miles and Gwen issue to date. You can also check out our exclusive in-depth conversations with the writers and artists who bring these characters to life. I'm Jack. Most importantly, if you're listening to this, then we want to hear from you. Drop us a line at feedback at ultimatespinpodcast.com and tell us what you think of the stories, the art, the characters, the weird, maybe, time travel portal stuff that seems to be going on with every time Miles appears in a comic. This podcast is by fans and for fans, so we'd love to feature your comments on the show. And we're happy to welcome back the founder of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com and the co-host of the amazing Spider Talk podcast, our good friend, Mr. Dan Gavazin. Oh, I'm really happy to be back. Excited to kind of shake things up with you guys. What are you saying, Dan? I- I'm saying I'm coming on here with, like, as a firebrand. <laughs> uh, get ready, because you're going to have to defend your opinions, I suspect. Ah, all right. So, yeah, we've got two issues for you in this episode. We're catching up with Spider-Man 2 and generation. So let's jump into it with Spider-Man 2, issue number three. I'll hit you with a quick recap, and then we'll get into it. Many years ago, a young Wilson Fisk finds himself in Rikers Island, mutilates a fellow inmate, and lands in solitary. One month later, he's released and meets his cellmate, Miles Morales, telling him that he was sent from Don Rigoletto to protect him. Miles gains Fisk's trust by turning down an offer to kill him and seals the deal when he saves Fisk from the inmate he'd attacked before. Years later, Fisk plays wingman as Miles is on a promising date in a restaurant the two own. Miles helps Fisk assume control of their boss's gang, and Fisk rewards Miles' loyalty by granting his wish but making it look like he never existed. So once again, this had nothing to do with the solicit that we've been reading out for the last uh, couple weeks. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> I'm going to call it right now and say we're getting another issue or two of this beyond what the original issue count was originally stating. There's no way that in two issues we're wrapping this thing up. Oh, this is going to go long, you think? I definitely think so. The, the delay and all that stuff, like, there, there's there's no way they're not adding more to this. Unless unless you think that this seems to be wrapping up, Brian. Yeah, no, the delay, I mean, that's, it's interesting you mentioned that. Yeah, if you're, if you're not aware of what Dan's referring to, we just learned that part four is being pushed till November, November 8th. And so far, part five is supposed to come out at the end of that month. But yeah, that's... That's really odd. I, I'm not sure what's going on there. Should we take over under bets on whether this finishes in 2017 or 2018? Because I can see where Dan's laying his money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hello, February. Hello. <laughs> oh, God. Do, do we need to have another Marvel spin-off miniseries thing that just gets horribly delayed and completely kind of... Ru- Are we going to have some big reveal in some other book, like... Evil Miles is going to show up in some other team book and then just never be explained properly. Like, basically what happens with Civil War 2 and what happened with every other Marvel event of the last 10 years where the ending gets delayed and then spoiled by one of the other books. Are you saying saying do we need that or are we getting that? I'm saying we're getting that, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We definitely don't need that. I've had enough of that stuff already. Well, it wouldn't be Marvel Legacy if we didn't respect Marvel's legacy of shipping books late. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, wow. Dan, coming in hard. Coming away. in hard. We expect nothing less of you. I'm here, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the the change of pace with this issue, because the past two, we were just kind of felt like we were twiddling our thumbs a little bit and a very anticlimactic What'd you find when you looked up Miles Morales? Nothing. And then Ugh. that's it after don't all that. Rem- don't remind me, Brian. Well, I have to because this is the issue where we, uh. we seem to get that answer. But then the whole thing just changes pace with this Kingpin flashback. What was your take when you saw him show up on the first page? I first thought it was, oh, Vincent D'Onofrio. Cool. Wait a minute. 
this is the cinematic universe. What what's going on here? But this this is kind of this feels like the Marvel Netflix Kingpin, and I don't, I'm not up to date on a bunch of other Marvel books. I don't know if he's basically that version of Kingpin in the real like continuity as well. But this this was a weird. I mean, you mentioned twiddling thumbs earlier, Brian. Like we just it, now it's Wilson Fisk twiddling his thumbs instead of Peter Parker. Like okay, this is a weird kind of sort of origin story but doesn't really explain anything version of evil miles and felt like more kind of treading water type stuff to me it had some great moments it had some good character things which i'm sure we're going to get into but overall it we don't learn anything new apart from oh how he got that scar the old kind of heath ledger joker joke i guess I mean, you mentioned Vincent D'Onofrio and Netflix Daredevil. It did feel like that show all of a sudden in that, like, one, you have this really extended pre-credits sequence, which is kind of a weird thing to see in a comic book. Like, it just went on and on. And then we got the, the sort of recap page in the in the book. But then also, it reminded me of that show in that it made him kind of likable. Yeah. Are we supposed to be sympathetic to Evil Miles now? Or is he Evil Miles? Like, what's going on? And the Kingpin as well. Like, it was exactly. weird. What's most frustrating to me about this is that this version of Miles in no way reflects on the other version of Miles, I guess the normal Miles. I don't know if I want to call him Ultimate Miles or 616 Miles, who knows what he is. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I mean, which is a whole other problem I'm sure we'll talk about at some point in the show, because I like to bring that up. But uh, I just don't know what I'm meant to take away is this a reflection of Miles' persona in any regard? It seems like a completely different guy. It looks like a completely different guy. It looks like a Miles Morales that's like a like a Latin gangster. Um, I, I just don't know what I'm meant to take away from this about our main characters whose names are on the title and yet don't appear in this book, even though it's one-fifth of this story. You know, like... Uh, it's great to learn about all this, but it in no way it gives me any insight into the characters that we're meant to be following. Oddly enough, here here's the the parallel that I didn't quite catch the first time, but then uh, our pal Lodix L O D I X uh, one on Twitter pointed this out to me. Um, this connection he saw. So we're talking about like, what do we know about Miles? And that's a question sometimes we or sometimes we've asked a lot uh, in the actual book and. Our favorite character in that book is, of course, Genki. And he pointed out that Wilson is basically Genki in this book. When I saw the preview, I thought it was Genki. <laughs> and that really comes through in that, that restaurant scene where he's being, like, really, like, charming. And even to the point, like, he does his thing and then walks away. And then you have this new evil mile just kind of chuckling, like, and all embarrassed about, ugh, you know, that guy. But in the same way, like, Genki shines in, in his main book, like, we're doing it again. Now, Wilson Fisk is the character shining in this. like, And like you guys are saying, like, what do you know about Miles? Not a whole lot. You said this like reminded you of like the Daredevil Netflix show or like The Wire or something like that. But the show that I keep returning to in regards to how Bendis has written not only this, but all of his like stuff over the past two years is How I Met Your Mother. the reason i say that is i actually stopped watching how i met your mother like four or five seasons in because literally every episode would open with the group gathered in their room being like remember that thing we did last week let's have an entire episode that's a flashback to that with several other embedded flashbacks in it and it was every week it was like that and Mm -hmm. i feel like every story bendis is writing now is not about forward momentum or forward action. It's all about what happened previously and it's squandering its own central thesis, right? I mean, we could talk about the kingpin until we're sick in the face, but at the end of this, the one thing we should really be talking about is how much of a betrayal this story is to the concept of the title of this book, Spider-Man. It's about these two guys meeting in their relationship, and it has been about everything but that. This is what I'm wondering. Like, you mentioned the sort of plot construction and the challenge of momentum and flashbacks and flash forwards. Is that just 
being trapped by the format of serialized fiction? Like, would this would this have worked better if they said, you know what, screw it, Spider Man Two is a extend or like a graphic novel, and they just issued it that way? And then would it be more satisfying to have the whole thing in one chunk, and then you you can take your time with it as opposed to chapter by chapter and not getting the satisfaction and is that format the re- or the release format the reason why Bendis is using this kind of writer's trick? Because he's he's he did it. It happened in the Kissing in a Tree crossover with uh, Gwen, and it's yeah. happening now uh, with Miles in Japan. Just kind of getting to the action, giving the readers something to hook them in, and then sort of backtracking. And so, if we look at Spider Man Two so far. It was almost like checking boxes, right? It gets the characters together. It has them do the banter. It, you know, it has this new Miles being sinister looking and they're in a crazy situation and there's explosions and violence and punching. And now, if this is the halfway point and, you know, we don't extend the series anymore, this is the sort of moment of calm where you flash back and sort of fill in your colors a little bit about your your new character, your main bad guy. Even though it's a weird way of doing it where you're, leaning more on the kingpin than the new miles. But do you see what I'm saying? Like, the, is this a structure he's he's trying to make work and we're just, because of the release schedule, it's not working for us? I mean, perhaps, but I, I still think this would read as incredibly episodic if you were to read this as a trade. Mm-hmm. And, and I think Bendis has kind of threaded that needle. I mean, literally all of Ultimate Spider-Man operated the same way. It was written for the trade and it never felt this episodic in structure, right? Like it, like you were willing to put up with not getting a full story in an issue because you knew that the whole thing was structured really well. And it just made sense reading it through. And it probably read better as a trade, but it's not like the format of comics suddenly changed on Bendis overnight. And now he's <laughs> struggling with it. You know, like he's been writing these books for over a decade, you know? Uh, right. Like, I don't I don't know why he over the past year or two has suddenly leaned into this crutch all of a sudden as though like you know he he was like demanded to completely change his writing style and I don't think it's present in his other books either like I think Infamous Iron Man reads like a classic well constructed Bendis book does but for some reason in the Spider-Man series that he's writing he feels the need to kind of like I don't know, like hedges bets constantly. Um, it just it just seems very um, unfocused and very um, like not confident in what he wants to do. Like I, I think about like Daredevil, his Daredevil book. It was really one idea extended over like whatever, like fifty plus issues. You know, like what if everybody knew who Daredevil was? Let's explore this idea for a long time and do interesting things with it. In his Miles stuff, like he doesn't really seem to have that clear idea and he's constantly diverting from it Uh, to the extreme in this series where it's like, here's the core idea. It's about Peter Parker and Miles Morales learning about who the, I guess the 616 Miles Morales is, but here's 20 diversions. We've got tax taskmaster and the Kingpin and a dimensional portal, you know, like it's just stick to one idea and do that. Well, is what I'm asking. This has come to mind too. Like I mentioned, kissing in a tree, and that was a you know that was co-written with Jason Latour. But then before that, for this show anyway, we had uh, I think Ultimate End was the last kind of big Miles thing, and it seemed like yeah, like you've touched on it, like just kind of killing time. Like there might be a, a grain of an idea in there, but we have to wait till the end. And by the time we get to the end, the the journey didn't reward the destination. And I know you guys were super jazzed about him going to another country in that Japan issue. Mm-hmm. And I liked that issue. I thought it was really fine on its own. But as part of this ongoing tapestry, it just seems like another diversion. It's just like, okay, like now he's going to go off here and do this thing, you know? And uh, like we haven't even resolved any of the stuff with his family's relationship. It's like, I, I feel like I have incredible ADHD reading this book, you know, like, uh, I don't know what we're meant, what, what any of it is tackling. It just seems all like a, uh, we'll get, we'll get there, we'll get there, we'll get there, you know. And by the end of it, I don't really care anymore. For me, three issues in, I realized I had to kind of drop my expectations, and I think this is just 
trapped by its title. Honestly, like I think I really think from what I've read, you know, his various interviews, I think he's got an idea he's going for because he keeps saying that this book and the generation special and what's happening for miles in the main uh, series, it's all he's he seems to be working towards something. That's what he's hinted at in time for this uh, movie that's coming out next year. So I, I am, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt, but as far as this particular miniseries goes, like you're right, Dan, everything you said, this is not, it doesn't seem to be about, you know, that relationship so far. He, he, there, there are diversions. There are, you know, sidesteps. I just had to kind of let go. Like I, I realized like it's not going to, it's not going to pay it off for me. It has, it is something else. And it's this issue. I, en- I enjoyed it actually, but not, it didn't feel like the natural progression for the themes and ideas that Spider-Man had started. Yeah. If, if this issue was like the start of a new series, like about like miles and the Kingpin, I would read the hell out of that. I love Bendis's crime writing and it's awesome in this issue. There's no way around it. It's great. And it's like, Oh, this is the Bendis I love. It's just what even is this? Yeah, I, I, this issue felt like more kind of spinning wheels and, re- like you said, really, really out of place. And it worries me that we're now three out of five issues, and we've not learned basically anything about Evil Miles or the other version of Miles, or whatever you want to call him. And I don't know if you guys remember how hyped I was about this when it was first announced. And I was just like, I am so ready. I loved Spider-Man 1 so much. The whole Mysterio thing was really cool. It looked great. The little twist at the end was like, oh, interesting. I really like Miles is one of my favorite Marvel characters. I'm excited to see what they do with like an alternate version of Miles. What could it possibly be? Nothing. And so far, we've got nothing. And that upsets me beyond belief, basically. <laughs> I... uh I'll have to I'll have to find it and when I do I'll put it in the show notes. But there was Bendis definitely has fun with the hype machine and the and the you know, is never shy about trolling now and then. But he he seemed to suggest that the ending of this miniseries is is gonna throw like another curveball or wrench in the works or what have you. And and again, it, it that's I think that led to my feeling of kind of spinning wheels or treading water or whatever metaphor you want to use. But he's waiting for that. Will it be a wrench or a punt down the field? Like that's that's my question. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good one, actually. I don't know. Like, uh, there's a certain point where you just have to ask, like, is there a there there? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> great characters, but like, what's the story? You know, is there even a story here? Like, uh, like I don't even know if we like organically built our way into this flashback, like. Where is this flashback occurring? Is someone thinking about this story? Is, you know, like, is, is this, will this be important? Will all these details matter? Like, or is this just a dump of exposition? You know, like, uh, like if, if there was a way to poetically tie this into what was going on, like this is Miles Morales reflecting on his past in some way. Like I think you could could have done this whole story in five or six pages. That's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah, you could, totally could have made this tie into the main series much easier by having it be a flashback of Evil Miles in an issue. And this wasn't even a full issue. Like it, it's really weird how it's kind of this could easily have been told in what well, I don't know. Yeah, five or six pages. This is 18 pages long anyway, so it's like not even a full issue of a comic. It's very strange. Just to play the devil's advocate, or the, the daredevil's advocate, just to, yeah. I mean... <laughs> oh, I hate you. The advocate of Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> it's that huge question, like, how can someone completely disappear, and what resources would it take for that to happen, and who would have those resources, and why would that person want to extend those resources? I get it. Slight in that spoilers. Sense. It's been done on Breaking Bad a few times. Sure. And they and they didn't they didn't spend twenty minutes explaining how it happens. They just kind of did it and had the guy there and it and it worked. Like so, I'm I'm not going to say it's not you know it has it's it's original or anything, but similar to the Netflix show. I mean, didn't we do that in the first season? Like you get to know Fisk as a pretty terrifying character, but then you had that flashback episode of his childhood and you see a different side. So. I'm not saying 
they were mirroring each other. I just, in terms of like plot functionality, I see what this was trying to do. Yeah, but that felt earned. He He's an integral part. Fisk is a hugely integral part of that series, the, particularly the first season of that series. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not saying it's but, not. I'm not saying it was earned. I'm saying I, I, I get the idea. I see I oh, see yeah, what yeah. he was going I, for. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I get that. I just don't think it works. <laughs> no, I, this, I'm actually. This, yeah, no, I, I, I take that. Uh, I, I agree. It just it comes. No, out Brian, nowhere. defend it. I did defend it. I mean, I'm, I'm taking, like I said, I'm taking the other side of it. I get what Be he's going for. Be a defender, Brian, and defend it. <laughs> See how many Marvel Cinematic Universe puns we can get in here. Oh, God. Okay, so I actually want to talk about what Brian is talking about, which is um, the idea of, like, erasing oneself. And this is where a kind of another bone I have to pick with the issue is about the characterization of uh, Miles Morales in this because it's kind of established early on that he didn't really he's not really involved in this crime world he is just kind of taking a hit for his cousin um, so his cousin doesn't have to go to jail right and he's going to do the time loyally and faithfully before the kingpin kind of ushers him out and even when the kingpin gives him the option to leave he's like oh i was supposed to do my time you know and so we flash forward and he is like on this date out of prison with this barbara person who he kind of i guess like puts his foot in his mouth by kind of taking things a little too far in a kind of charming way and we get the origin of kingpin suit weirdly enough which i wasn't asking for but i got (laughs) Um, and which, okay. And now I'm going to have to rewrite my knowledge of the Kingpin to suit that. Um, but, uh, then a scene later, he's like referred to as like the Kingpin's Chihuahua and he's drawn as this kind of like unhinged kind of madman enforcer of his. Am I wrong in, in kind of taking that, that interpretation away? But then like a pe- a page later, he's like, I really don't want to have anything to do with this. I'd like to get out of it. And to me, it's like ping-ponging back and forth. It's like, is he like kind of this like mad dog guy that has this reputation? Like, or is he kind of a guy who's been dragged into this not really of his own desire? Well, you mentioned The Wire. I mean, we've seen that happen to a lot of characters, especially the younger ones on that show. They get dragged into it. Well, yeah, but but then he but then he's drawn in this one scene. I'm just saying this one scene seems like where they are pointing at the gun, their guns at the rival mob lord, and they're like, make he's like, I want you to kiss Miles Morales's ring. It, I'm just saying that scene to me seemed really out of place for the character because he he's going from being like this kind of charming like doofus and guy who doesn't really want to be involved in all of this to like this kind of mad dog guy with a reputation. I want to, I want to just briefly jump in a different direction and try to connect this with, with our miles. And Dan, you mentioned this miles's date. Do you guys remember the name of the girl that uh, miles was into in the beginning of this run? Was it Barbara? It was Barbara Rodriguez. Is she also an alternate version of Barbara Rodriguez? Do you think? Or is that this Miles's daughter? What? Oh my god! Yeah, that that sounds like a a real thing. Because when I read this, Barbara, when he meets her for dinner, the name Barbara jumped out at me. Like, wait, what? Aha! I I made that connection, but I did not take it the step forward that you did, Brian. Holy crap! All right, now are you as down on this? <laughs> I mean, that's cool, but I still am not really shipping Miles and Barbara. Like, she's just this kind of character that showed up for four pages. You know, like. I've already forgotten her name. She did have a cool hat, though. Right. <laughs> but again, like you forgot it because it was how many months ago. But again, if we're reading it as a trade or reading it, like pieces yeah. are there. See, or, you know, puzzle pieces are there. And that was, I mean, that name, that's not a randomly chosen name that his date's name was Barbara. Yeah, I, I guess that's true. I mean, like, at the same time, you know, what happened to the girl that he was like interested in at the beginning of his Spider-Man run? Like, why not have seated this person in much earlier so that we are like made to care about, uh, about her to me, like pulling that twist on me would be like, as 
comp- as uninteresting as the like uh, like Kate Bishop's parents are Hydra twist yeah. that we got. It's like, oh, her parents are Hydra. I couldn't tell you one distinguishing thing about her character, like up to this point. Like the only interesting thing about her is that her parents are Hydra. In the same way, the only interesting thing about this Barbara, even though she was well-written for those few pages, would be that her father is Miles Morales. To be fair, that's a little bit more interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> a lot right. more creepy. <laughs> it, it, is, it is more interesting. <laughs> Cre- yes, definitely creepy. <laughs> would you? How about the art in this issue? I was really taken aback at the violence. It's really violent. It's super violent. It's like really is raw and intense and... Some of her best work, like I was kind of creeped out. I usually read these and like, we'll hand them over to my kid. And that was actually, I had a pause for thought. I'm like, uh, like he just ripped the guy's nose off with his teeth. That, and then like, I thought that was bad. And then the shower fight, which they threw in this little kind of, again, another Bendis first reference to this like MGH drug that's on the street, whatever. That That just, to me, got lost the first time around because of the, mayhem of you know slicing and dicing and ugh. I, I was I, I was actually surprised to see it i don't think it's necessarily unusual for other uh marvel books but in in a miles related book that that caught me off guard yeah i feel like the miles books have always been a little more violent than anything we got with peter parker um they, but they were always like like punctuated by moments of violence you know um, like his uncle blew himself up and that's violent, you know? Um, but this was just like, all right, we're going to live in this for a while. Like the tone, yeah. <laughs> right. You know, we went from a book where a giant robot landed in a schoolyard to guys <laughs> carving each other up with knives. You yeah. know, like it felt like I was suddenly reading Bendis's daredevil uh again which, or even a jessica jones yeah yeah exactly it's like oh is is there a max printed on this book <laughs> right yeah okay so <laughs> it wasn't just me good because i was like might be kind of a, a prude about this but it's like no that was that was rough but it was cool to see her cut loose you know uh, art wise no pun intended yeah <laughs> pun mm-hmm. absolutely intended don't don't you dare take that back <laughs> yeah I, th- I thought she was uh you know, Pacelli, she's amazing. Uh, everything she does, I, I, I think is pretty stunning. And um, I thought this is the best looking issue of the bunch so far, even as I try to get over the kind of Vincent D'Onofrio uh, like, appearance in this book. Right. Yeah, I think particularly that shower scene is spectacular. You really get a sense of momentum and speed of the attacker and the fact that, you know, Kingpin realizes so fast you have powers and then the the following panels are all just blurs of colors in the background as he's dancing around slashing at Miles's face stabbing at the Kingpin and then of course finally Kingpin catches him and then everything slows to that kind of solemn blue and the the steam kind of starts to settle and things like that it feels like a really frenetic pace for those couple of pages where the fight's going on and then it settles down really nicely and just the walking through the light of the door worked really well as well they're kind of escaping this horrible experience and of course justin ponza's coloring is absolutely amazing the combination of her kind of stark colors and his use of the pinks and the blues and things like that worked absolutely brilliantly and i think really gave that scene some some more weight than it would have had without those guys i did think some of the lettering was inconsistent and it's not the lettering in particular but the um the use of i guess like uh, i don't know what they're called but with the words to set the scene and time because we get these kind of like you know three months later jumps at the beginning where it tells us where we are but then later on, we'll like turn the page and it's clearly months later or like, you know, a, a good deal of time later. And it felt really disorienting to me. Um, you know, we, we go from this kind of restaurant scene to this, you know, like uh, gang confrontation scene to the scene where Miles is asking for an out. And I don't really have like a sense whether that was like in an afternoon 
like it clearly doesn't seem like it. It's an afternoon based on the way he talks about Barbara. Um, but like, I also don't really know what the timeline is for that. And I really kind of felt disoriented by it. Am I, am I alone? Yeah, I, I, I get your, like the last sequence was a little jarring. You're right. <laughs> like Miles Morales and the terrible, no good, horrible, very long day. i did think that final time shift worked really well just showing the possible two sides of this miles where he goes from like grinning at barbara and they smile at each other and they have this cute little moment and then of course as you turn the page we wasn't talking to you no one was talking to you (laughs) out and shouting at this guy gun to his head pinning him down on a pool table like it's a great kind of I could totally imagine that being a, a really hard cut in a TV show if this was a TV show. It's like, yeah. oh, quiet moment, and they smile, cut to black. You hear him shouting, and then the the camera like suddenly jolts in from pitch black, and then suddenly Miles is pinning a guy down with a gun to his head, which happens a lot in those kind of crime things. You see those long-running TV shows where they establish, like, oh, yeah, he's a nice guy at home, and then suddenly he's got a gun to somebody's head in the next scene, and... That was a cool little thing, but I, I agree with you, Dan. I was a bit kind of thrown off by it, but not. I think it worked well. They did that on purpose to kind of throw the reader off, and I think that worked quite well. Yeah, I wonder now, like where we can go from here with issue four. Like, is there more to spend in this part of the timeline, or are we going to jump forward? Like, is something bad going to happen to Miles's new girlfriend or wife or whoever she's going to be? And that's what turned him super extra evil or however he is now. He does seem to be alone in this man, this mansion. Yeah. When we first saw him, like it's very empty. There's no real like feminine touch to it. You know what I mean? Right. I hope to be turned around by this series. I just up to this point, I'm like, I don't really get a sense that this is going anywhere. Um, But I mean, every time I come on here, Brian throws some wrinkle where I'm like, oh, that would be interesting. And I think last time it, the wrinkle was we were like, what if it's a time-displaced Miles and we're getting a look at what it would look like if he went down the gangster route? And it's like, oh, no, it wasn't that. It's like, how are we going to tie in Taskmaster and a glowy portal into this? Well, maybe it's your theory. Like, ah, we're going to need another issue or two for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we also uh, heard from some of you guys, and I think, see, you seem to be pretty much in line, uh, certainly with Dan and Jack, but we did hear from, I will read from Austin Braxton, uh, who tweets at Austin C. Braxton, who said, I'm psyched to find out more about Evil Miles' even more evil cousin. (laughs) Is there a child of Uncle Aaron running around in the 616? Ooh. It's a good question. This isn't. Is this sick? Oh, God. What what even universe are we in anymore? Who knows? <laughs> right. <laughs> the next issue will all be about that evil cousin and, and, and the woman that Uncle Aaron fell in love with and then gave birth to that child and that child. And she's called Barbara fell. as well. Right. <laughs> and Dan will come back on and go, what is even happening anymore? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we also heard from Stefan at school at Games Enlisted. Very confused. I wish they put the disappear explanation in this issue, and I'm worried that the next two may end up feeling rushed. That said, I did find the relationship between Miles and Kingpin to be very enjoyable, and it's good we got more dimension to Miles' character. Which is pretty much what we've been saying. Pretty, yeah. I, I, I really wish they'd stop with the fake-outs and actually explain some stuff. So I, I agree with you, Stefan. We just did the 280 characters version of that tweet. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, next up, we heard from Killer Tacos at at Killer Tacos fifty four. I didn't realize there were that many Killer Tacos around. <laughs> living in LA, I'm going to have to watch out now. You guys have Killer Burritos, though. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh, so I can, if you want a Killer Burrito when you come out here, I can point you in the right direction. <laughs> done and done, sir. Yes. I'll hold you to that, then. All right. So Killer Tacos says. Uh, wasn't a huge fan of the Spider-Man issue. Basically, same as all the Spider-Man comics so far, unfortunately. Art's great. Writing, not so much. Yeah. And then we heard from Dr. Mo 77 Mo Walker. It was also very frustrated by the writing, and it wasn't a 20-page issue. Art was lovely as usual. We are three-fifths of the way in, and Bendis has yet to justify making the other Miles Morales character the center of the mini. 
Yeah. Agreed on all fronts, pretty much. Pretty much. So at the end of this epic discussion, you want to wrap it up in three words? Sounds good to me. Who's going first? I will. I'll say this <laughs> victim of timing. Oh, interesting. I maintain this would be better received if it was a trade or a graphic novel. Fair enough. Dan, how about you? All right. I got my three words. What even is this? Do we have to have this discussion again, Dan? <laughs> I make the rules. No, you don't. This is not your You have your own show. You have your own show with your own rules. And you come into mine and Brian's house. And you're living under our roof. No, he's going with the, you know, it's got to be extended theory. So, Oh, of course. I, yeah. I, I see where he's going with it. That's the seven issues of Spider-Man when it's supposed to be five. Yeah. You add an extra, you get room for an extra word because the third word got delayed. <laughs> this review comes straight from Marvel's editorial policies. Hey! Budum Tish. There you go. That's my three words, Budum Tish. <laughs> I'm going to go for out of place just because I felt like this was felt really weird in the middle of this series. Oof. Well, that's uh, Spider-Man 2, issue 3, but we get to travel back in time again with the Generations Spiders issue. So, Dan, as our guest, you want to catch us up to speed on what happened in this issue? All right. Give me the countdown or whatever. How do we do this? You just jump in. All right. Here we go. Miles appears in the past, specifically Peter Parker's past, and bumps into both Peter and his friends, question mark, before significantly freaking Peter out by revealing that he knows he's none other than Spider-Man. In the meantime, though, Miles also is sure to check in with his younger self, witnessing the moment that he and Genki both met. Miles then meets up again with Peter at his house, gives him a tease of his future, specifically involving a team of Spider-Men, or persons, while listening to Peter relive the events of the classic Master Planner arc, ultimately learning what makes Peter so special as Spider-Man. Nicely done. I'm not sure where our listeners are at, but I'll put the question out to you guys. Are any of you reading Generations? I hadn't been. Um, I've heard good things about it. I had planned on picking up this issue and then reading the rest on Marvel Unlimited. How about you, Jack? Nothing at all. I, I know almost nothing about it, apart from the fact that it's current versions of characters meeting past versions of the previous incarnations of the characters. That's about all I know. So Generations is very loosely connected to Secret Empire issue 10. And so the young heroes in that story at the very end are sent off, uh, and I'll quote, on a journey of discovery through the vanishing point. And when they returned, they were restored and reborn. Or as uh, Kamala Khan put it in her generation's issue, because I'm a superhero, I was in the middle of a battle for the fate of the earth and sci-fi reasons. That's all you really need to know. The rest makes about as much sense to me as it does to you. This is the kind of thing that the recap page was meant to convey. Mm -hmm. And yet never really seems to be able to. No. <laughs> Each issue is kind of a one-shot story where the young character runs into the older one. They don't, the older one doesn't know who the younger one is, and they have some kind of one-off adventure encounter. They realize sort of the common characteristics that define them as that specific hero. And then they just kind of go back to their own time. And uh, the ones I've read have been pretty charming, pretty fun. It's tough to gauge as to whether they're essential reads or, or ultimately disposable. This, to me... Again, I read it with the context of Bendis having said, like, he's trying to tie it all together. So I, I saw where he was going with it, or I think I did, that whole question of, should Miles be Spider-Man, or should he do his own thing? I really dug this issue, but um, I do want to address that question you just asked, the should Miles Morales be Spider-Man question. Mm -hmm. It seems to me like a really strange question to be asking given that the like thesis statement of his Spider-Man series from the get-go was anybody can be Spider-Man. And <laughs> like this is time for Miles Morales to be the Spider-Man. No adjectives needed. He is just Spider-Man. To have this storyline already kind of cropping up where it's like, maybe he won't be Spider-Man. It feels like a real step back from this bold declarative statement that they were making. 
I agree. I agree. And the fact that, I mean, we'll get into it, but the fact that they use the word amazing about four dozen times in three pages, right at the very end of this, I was like, okay, we get it. Peter Parker is a pretty okay Spider-Man. There are other good Spider-Men and Spider-People. I mean, Gwen being the perfect example of that, and we talk about her a lot on this show. But it feels a bit kind of... I don't know if I can say this on the show, but like masturbatory of Peter Parker. Just like, we get it. He's great. He's amazing. He's amazing. He's amazing. Sure, but Miles is Miles is pretty good too, you know? But is that is that kind of mirroring the conversation that might happen in, in other sort of fan circles that, all right, when we first had Miles pop up, you know, we didn't have Peter Parker and now we've mashed all the universes together. So Peter Parker is alive and perfectly well. And that question is like, well, do we need another kid operating as Spider-Man? And then there was this idea thrown out like, oh, Pete's international super spy Spider-Man, Miles is street level Spidey. And however that worked out or didn't work out. So uh, to me, kind of swapped around at this point. Now Miles is, yeah, now Miles is in Japan. Japan, Right. So, but (laughs) it, but to me, it is an interesting question. And that's, I also think like, that's kind of stuff you start asking anyway, around that age, when you're trying to figure out who you are and how much you, who you, who you are based on where you're from and like what you sort of have to be. And then the things that you choose to be. And that, that's an interesting idea. Maybe we'll ultimately arrive at that, no pun intended, ultimately arrive at that uh, point anyway, where he is going to be Spider-Man at the end of it. But I think that's a, that's a good question to ask. And it has moved on from the original thesis because the landscape has changed so much and the conversation has been what it has been. So maybe he's trying to sort of play off that. That's how I read it. Yeah, I think that makes sense. It's just hard for me when Marvel was so insistent on it. You sure. Know what I mean, it's like this conversation wouldn't really even existed if you didn't put your foot down and say, this is the bold action that we're taking. You know, um, it doesn't really bother me. I think it's just interesting that it seems to be like so relatively quickly pivoting to we're not so sure about. It. I mean, the same thing happened with Invincible Iron Man. It was like Iron Man and Tony Stark are the new face of Marvel. It's not Spider-Man anymore. Iron Man is going to be the symbol for Marvel. And then like a year later, it was like, well, Tony's in a coma. And it's yeah. someone else now. And it's like, right. oh, the face of Marvel didn't really last terribly long. I, it, it just seemed very odd to me. It was like I, 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 Marvel put their foot down and said that these very declarative things. Like Tony Stark is our new main character and Miles Morales is Spider-Man. Oh, well... Maybe not on both of those. But again, I will say, I and I'll just get my feelings about this issue out. Um, you know, I don't think it's a perfect issue and there's a lot of things to discuss with it. But in terms of doing the Miles Morales meets Peter Parker thing, uh, this worked better for me than I think both volumes of Spider-Man have. Tell, tell me more. I just felt like it was a, a lot more, it was, it was a lot shorter um, and it was a lot more focused on who these people are as individuals. And this might just really reflect who I am. Obviously I have a, like a bit of a Peter Parker bias, I think, um, <laughs> maybe, maybe a big Peter Parker bias. Who's to say, but, uh, in that most of my free time is spent discussing the character of Peter Parker. Um, but like Miles's revelation at the end of this, I actually thought was a far more interesting place to have arrived than anything we got in Spider-Man one, which felt kind of like a meet cute. It was like, Oh, <laughs> this, this, these, these worlds exist. And I guess I'll give you, you know, like the approval to be Spider-Man. But this, I felt like was really interesting because I've never, and this gets to my problem with miles as a character is I've never really felt a personal reason for him to be Spider-Man. Like I felt like Bend is set up, a number of times important reasons for Miles to be Spider-Man um, specifically, you know, with his uncle Aaron trying to pull in another direction. And I felt like Bendis has never really decided on, on, on one ultimate route to take Miles or for Miles reason to exist. Um, 
in a way that's really kept me distanced from the character. And for Miles to kind of like almost say that in this issue, like, oh, I didn't realize how personal this was for you um, to Peter, kind of was like, oh, maybe Bendis is aware of that too. Um, I don't really know. It's probably me projecting a bit. But like, I felt like the book finally met me where I was at with my discomfort with like how Miles has been written as a character. Um, and I was like, okay, like this is a, like this did a better job than Genki saying, maybe you shouldn't be Spider-Man for me. Like Miles was actually confronting, like, I guess uh, in one of the most pivotal arcs in Spider-Man history, the master planner, he was like finally confronting like what it meant for Peter to be Spider-Man in a way that he's never really had to before. And I found that way more interesting than anything we've gotten from any of these extended team-ups. You mentioned Genki raising the question, like, yeah, that's that's sowing the seed, not just for Miles, but for the reader as well. Like, what, why? Like, why are you doing this? What is the point? And I think this is a wonderful, like, opportunity. It's not just a love letter to Peter as a character, but just to that whole era. And we'll get into the art soon. But yeah, when you see how personal it is, then like, then what is in it for me? Why am I doing this? And that's the question he's going to go back with. I'm assuming we're going to resume in in the main narrative. So Dennis has actually said as much, and I'll, I shared it on Twitter and we'll put it in the show notes and share it again. He did an interview with uh, Previous World uh, where they were talking about this issue and he was asking, what do these characters have to gain uh, as mirror images being side by side? And Bendis' response was perspective. And he was saying, you know, it's not an accident that these uh, generations in Spider-Man 2 and the big story that's happening in the main uh, series as well, they're all happening at the same time. This is a plan. So it's a formative time for Miles' life and superhero career. So I, he's hinting that things are going to change. Big things are going to happen for Miles and the, the Spider-Man franchise as a whole. We're talking about the journey and the destination. I mean, this, the journey in this issue, I, I loved it. I thought this was really great for both characters. And we've been hinting at something changing for Miles because we've seen that weird gold suit thing in a few of the previews and a few of the solicits. So do you think he might literally give up the mantle of Spider-Man and be another insert name spider thing here? Iron spider, gold spider, something like that, and, and be less of a he's not ready to take up the mantle from Peter Parker because it's such a, a personal thing to him. Do you think that's a, a big change that's going to happen for Miles? And he's, as Dan said, after Marvel kind of hyped this up as he is Spider-Man and then Peter Parker's in the background and now Miles is going to step down. I don't really follow the cartoons, but I know in one iteration of it, Miles is a character, but he's not Spider-Man. He is a different name, a Kid Arachnid. He, kid Arachnid. <laughs> oh, God. Right, but I mean... Arachnid. Hopefully a much better name, but yeah, it it is possible, you know. I mean, but think think about like the movie, you know, like Bendis has kind of said like this is going to like lead up to this movie, right? Mm -hmm. And Bendis is also like a major consultant on the movie, if I'm not wrong. Yes, he is, yeah. So like think about you're a marketing team and you're trying to sell this movie uh, to audiences who've just experienced Spider-Man Homecoming for the first time. You can't really sell it as Spider-Man necessarily because you don't want to introduce brand confusion already, like before the second movie comes out in that other series, mm -hmm. right? So you're going to have to give it another name, right? Like so people know that it's a, its own thing and you're not – I mean it's also Sony, so brand confusion might be their game because they're <laughs> awful. Um, uh, but – like if I were like if I were Sony, I'd think, how do we make so sure the audiences aren't confused and that they know this is its own thing in its own world? And in my mind, you know, you can still market it on Spider-Man, but you give it another name. And so, like, if I were to guess, this change is being prompted by like an eventual marketing twist where they have to like make all these things sync up, and so you give them a new personality and a new name because you're going to market it as that new name. Does that make sense? I think so. I think about the novel that just came out and they just, the title was Miles Morales and even the cover, like that's the huge part. Spider-Man is almost an afterthought on that title. Right. So like, you know, we know that Marvel works in this kind of grand way 
Uh, like they removed the Fantastic Four from a bunch of stuff because they just don't want to emphasize that. It seems to me like th- like this is a is all part of a larger game to reposition Miles as its own thing, a market that can be marketed separately from the word Spider Man. Th- that's my very cynical take. I don't think it's an unreasonable one, quite frankly. Can we talk about the art? Sure. The colors. This was phenomenal. I mean, that's what I noticed right away. It had that kind of retro 60s faded look. And I had to look up the colorist because I didn't recognize the name. M- I'm assuming it's M. Sassy K. M. Sassy K, yeah. Yeah, I looked her up and I- I'm probably going to butcher her actual name, Michelle Asara Sikorn. But I thought she did an incredible job of capturing that that feel. And it really pushed... Perez's art um, into that Ditko territory for me. It worked really well. Dan, I mean, you're old school fan. What, what did you think of the of the coloring or of the of the art in general? The overall impression, like vi- visually. I mean, I loved it. it. You know, it's it's the same guy who did Learning to Crawl. Um, which, even if you didn't love that story, the art was a, a real standout. Um, Ramon Perez is just amazing um i i did feel like this is something that wasn't present in learning to crawl i like there are some times where the characters like despite being youthful switch into kind of like old man mode like there's an image of harry (laughs) harry osborne in this that like it's like i totally agree he's older than norman osborne ever was um in this but uh yeah um, i mean it's beautiful and it's very expressive like Peter in his kind of sad sackness back at his house, like the way he like stands with his shoulders kind of stooped and he just looks miserable and I love it. Like it it, it is, you know, it's revisiting a lot of classic art from the Dicko run. uh, But, you know, it, uh, and the book is even dedicated to Steve Dicko um, in its final page. Um, And, yeah, it's 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 wonderful in in the way that like we love Steve Kiko's kind of m- more idiosyncratic work. Um, I, I loved it. I I, I would I would love to see this guy drawing Spider Man on the regular, um, you know, or doing a flashback series. Uh, you know, I, I I think this guy is the new like heir to that kind of. I don't know why they never got this guy to do Spidey when they were trying to push that book because right. it would be a, a perfect fit. Yeah, that totally would have made sense. That panel of Miles sitting and looking at the Brooklyn Bridge is stunning. Oh, yeah, no kidding. I, I, I would take a print of that. It's, it's really, really beautiful. I loved Ben is kind of playing a little fast and loose with the chronology too, and which I know popped up in the story uh, Learning to Crawl as well because – is it the 60s or is it the 80s or 90s? It, it's right. tough to tell. Why is and, everybody dressed so strangely if it was just a few years ago? Right. Thing? Yeah. And especially like for Miles dressed as he is in that, I, I don't even know what that kind of matador <laughs> outfit or whatever it is. And then hanging, in, hanging around in a playground watching his younger self and young Genki. And like, yeah, if I was his mom, I'd be a little freaked out as well. <laughs> Well, let's be honest. Like, what was Peter Parker even wearing, even in the sixties? Like this like, <laughs> yellow blazerish thing. I don't even know what to describe it as. I thought it did make the the Miles Morales suit look really weird. Like, that's suddenly a bit of the two thousand, like the twenty first century, crept into this book from the sixties. And when he finally like reveals himself, it's like a a different artist had painted Miles from the the waist up kind of thing. Uh, but <laughs> it was, it was very odd. It is so weird seeing that kind of 60s, 70s style. And then, Oh yeah, the black and red suit. Of course I hadn't, hadn't even thought about that. And yeah, it, it felt very of the time. I'm, as I'm first to admit, woefully uneducated in that era of comics. And I feel like I need to go back and basically most of my knowledge comes from listening to your podcast, Dan. So <laughs> I've never actually gone back and read any of the, much of the classic Ditko stuff in the in the sixties and seventies and and even stuff from from other characters and other publishers as well. I I need to go back and get into the kind of classic Golden Age, Silver Age, Bronze Age type stuff as well. Have you not read the Master Planner arc? No, I've not. No. Oh, oh. my gosh! Uh, 
go do that today. Like, stop talking to us. Just like, <laughs> what, are, what are you doing with your life right now? Yeah, like, yeah, you need to go do that. Uh, stop listening to my show until you until you go and at least read those three issues. <laughs> that uh, Perez's recreation of that Ditko panel from that scene of Peter lifting the the obstruction, and that, I mean, which was as we know also referenced in the Homecoming film. Yeah, I loved seeing that. I mean, and, and I love the him destroying the desk too was really yeah, fun. like really, really well yeah, done. Yeah, that panel felt more like sixties than anything else. Well, it's a straight copy of of that of a panel from uh, an issue from that uh, story. So. That makes yeah. sense. Um, but it, uh, I mean, it was nice to see Peter kind of like highlighting that moment as like the first time he felt vulnerable and like he might die as the character. Um, and really that's kind of what makes that, that storyline really so special is the kind of desperation, you know, mm. pr- present in it. And we never really got this kind of quiet moment out of Peter because comics were just written so differently back then. This is definitely more in, you know, obviously Bendis's deconstructed style. So, uh, like it was cool to see him reflecting on this moment and, and I thought it was very playful how Bendis made him like imagining Miles as like an imaginary friend kind right. of thing as a way to kind of get through the like time travel like discrepancy things that this would inv- uh, invoke. And um, I liked Bendis's own kind of like self critique or like critique of modern Spider Man in a way where he's like, "Oh yes, you're the leader of a team of Spider Men, but we don't count a number of them." You know, it's like, oh, that's exactly my feeling. It's just like, like there's too many spider people, you know, like. My favorite, am I married in the future? Oh, you know what? Don't answer that. (laughs) (laughs) Jack, I don't know how to get past this part where you haven't read the Master Planner story or any of the Stan Lee, Steve Ditko run. I think like we've just, we're at an impasse here. Like I I, I don't know what to say to you anymore. It's interesting you say that, Dan, because I, I can tell, I can feel your love and nostalgia for Peter Parker and for this, not only this style of art that, you know, the, the Ditko kind of reminiscing as it were, but I don't particularly care about Peter Parker as a character. He's never been my favorite Spider-Man. I, I've, I mean, I was born in 1990. I've grown up in the, an era of Miles Morales and ultimate Spider-Man. Peter Parker was my Spider-Man growing up because, you know, I was 12 when I read that book. And then 2099 was a thing I read a lot when I was younger as well. So I've never been that much of a fan of this kind of, I don't know, Peter Parker in general. I feel like I didn't enjoy this issue anywhere near as much as you guys did. And yeah, I think that's probably because of my lack of education on on classic comics. That's interesting because, you know, in this issue, he's like taken back to his classic roots in a way that you don't really see the character written that much anymore. And it's one of the things we talk about in our show is that like Peter was kind of a jerk for a lot of his early issues, like likable, but also just like a jerk. I mean, flat out. And like here you can kind of see it where his friends are like, Oh, welcome to the Peter Parker show. Like this guy, you know, is a jerk. And miles is coming to that and being like, well, like some friends you guys are, you know, when, when, when really Miles is just looking at it through a modern lens, like he never got to experience Peter as kind of this sad sack jerk. So he's criticizing Peter's friends when really they're acting like normal. So to me, it was an interesting like cult, like clash and one that's not really like um, often acknowledged um, from writers that uh, aren't like, are, you know, aren't like history Spider-Man writers like Bendis, it was nice to see Bendis show that he understood that Peter was not necessarily the best like social guy back then in a way that made Peter look bad. Um, Cause a, there's a lot of kind of like revisionist Spider-Man writing where it's like, Peter's just a nice guy all the time. And it's like, no, that's not really how he was written. I'm curious. Did, did you pick up on that when, when reading it, Jack, like that, like this Peter seemed to be written different than perhaps he's written nowadays. I did, but I also don't read Peter at the moment, so <laughs> I, ha- I haven't read much of the current Amazing Spider-Man run. But yeah, I did. I did certainly notice 
I didn't know it was that much of a conscious choice, but I certainly noticed the kind of character tonal change, I guess, if you will. There was one moment I want to talk about in the art. You mentioned the is Harry Osborn secretly Norman Osborn thing where he looks 65 years old for no reason in two panels. <laughs> There's a weird moment where Miles escapes like down an alley and then Peter chases him and then Peter has black hair and looks like Clark Kent all of a sudden. I thought that was very odd. Like when he's squinting and looking out for Miles, it's like, is that Peter? He's suddenly got like a huge chin and pitch black hair that's kind of slicked back rather than the little spit curl thing he's got going on. It was a weird little moment and I felt that that felt I don't know, oddly out of place for me for some reason. Ramon Perez does have a thing where like people spontaneously develop double chins out of nowhere. <laughs> they age and get double chins like we all do. Yeah, the one the one kind of wonky panel for me was when Miles shows up in Peter's place and Peter grabs him and his face is almost like feral and there's like spittle flying out of his mouth. Do you know the one I'm talking oh, about? Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> and <The> screaming and <laughs> and like yeah, both of them look like they've aged in that uh, that one panel. Yeah, that one that was the one kind of off moment for me. But again, it's like the the colors for this issue were really the star of the show for like that really brought it home. I think that the combo of these two was perfect. And worth it all to see Peter squeezing his mask while yes. passing out. Like that was like to me the crowning moment of this book was like that Peter is clinging to this mask lovingly even while like passing out from depression exhaustion, you know, uh, like I just, an, a wonderful moment, uh, like affirming why we care about this character so much. Ex- unless you're Jack. Unless, <laughs> unless you're me. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, that said, you want to, you want to kick off our, uh, our three word summary of this? <sighs> I haven't even thought about a three word. That's how, Oh, so no. <laughs> disenfranchised with this, I am. Wow. All right. Um, I don't know. Maybe you want to start with something more positive from Dan and then come back around to me. All right. I'll do it. Here's my three words. More of this, please. God <laughs> damn it, Dan. Well, wait, Jack. That, <laughs> was, that, was, that was four as well, Jack. Uh, or there three. We go. <laughs> 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 the best part of my reviews is that. There's a. They always are ended with one word that's completely inessential. Right. That, that's what I was about to say. You added that please in there just to annoy me. <laughs> <laughs> As a British man, I'm like, yes, okay, you said please, good. No, wait a minute. That's a bad <laughs> bit. Damn it. <laughs> I'm, I, I am, I'm abusing your cultural heritage. You are. You are, very much so. All right, in an attempt to keep the peace, I'll keep it simple and I will stick by the rules and just say a love letter. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, I honestly don't know. Don't even know where to go with this. Wow, you were speaking in Japanese in the other episode. I know, yeah. But I speak more Japanese than I do 60s comics. (laughs) I understand more about Japan than I do about (laughs) 60s comics. (laughs) (laughs) My three words are, unfortunately, not in Japan. (laughs) Oh, well. And Jack has officially been stumped. Yeah. (laughs) Like I, yeah, this issue just just felt I, I I felt really totally thrown off. This is I had no idea what to expect going into this issue, and this is not what I expected for better or worse. It's not a bad issue. I just felt not much really. So not for me. There you go. Three words for me. There you go. All right. Pro- probably really good, but not for me. <laughs> Well, listeners, that's what we thought of this issue, but we'd like to hear from you and what you guys thought. Is Jack completely cold-hearted, or were you yes. feeling the same way? <laughs> it's well established from pre- previous podcasts that I am a cold-hearted monster. That was supposed to be my role in this show. <laughs> All right. Are these guys completely cold-hearted and cynical, uh, or are they are they onto something? Let us know. Drop us a line at feedback at ultimatespinpodcast.com. Head over to our website, click on the Talk to Us button. You can also find us on Twitter at The Ultimate Spin, Facebook at Ultimate Spin Podcast, and on Instagram at Ultimate underscore Spin underscore Podcast, using the hashtags Miles Morales, Spider-Man, and Spider-Gwen. And if you want to catch up with our older episodes, you can, of course, find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Just search for Ultimate Spin. 
Dan, as always, a pleasure and an adventure. Uh, likewise. <laughs> Thanks for coming to hang out with us. It was a lot of fun. I, I always enjoy it. The The ultimate Spider-Man universe it remains very near and dear to my heart. So anytime I can come on to express my feelings about it in a slightly more positive, I guess, or constructive way is, is something I look forward to. Ah, uh, you are welcome anytime. And if our listeners want to follow up with you on your other projects and endeavors, where can we find you? Do I have any other projects and endeavors? Oh, yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just remembered. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, they can find all of stuff I'm doing over at superiorspidertalk.com, and namely the all-new Amazing Spider Talk podcast where we are delving into the history of Spider-Man one season at a time. And our first season is uh, about the Stan Lee, Steve Ditko era on the book, something Jack is intimately familiar with. And uh, we are just kind of breaking it down one topic at a time, having kind of discussions about uh, various things. Last week's episode was about J. Jonah Jameson. Is he a villain or is he an antagonist? Uh, And next week's episode is going to be about Street fighting Spider-Man. What does it mean that Spider-Man is a street hero? Um, so it's a great time to join us on that show. We're only seven episodes deep, so you can get caught up pretty quickly or just kind of join us for topics that are interesting for you. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at, at SupSpiderTalk. Uh, I do all my Spider-Man ramblings there. And there's quite a few of those. Um, you'll see me go on these strange diatribes every now and again when I feel so impassioned to do so. And how about you, Jack? I am at JLW Chambers on basically everything. I'm sure going to get a lot of hate mail from people saying, how can you be on the Spider-Man podcast and not know everything about Spider-Man? Uh, it's a Miles Morales and Gwen podcast, so I don't need to know that stuff usually until Dan shows up and schools me. So, uh, yeah, if you have any hate mail angry, get off my yard, damn kids, kind of comments towards me, JLW Chambers on Twitter, Instagram, all that other stuff as well. How about you, Brian? For me, you can find other podcasts I've been working on, um, bemoaning the state of the world on Twitter, and pictures I'm taking for Instagram. All that is at project37.net. Listeners, that is it for us for now, but coming up, we'll be talking about Spider-Man number 21. Miles is being pulled in a million directions at once, and he's starting to come apart at the seams. And we'll also be talking about Spider-Gwen number 25. Gwenum starts here, at last. Gwen's life irrevocably changes as she bonds with her universe's version of the Venom symbiote. What does that mean for her relationship with crime kingpin Matt Murdock? With her father? With the Osborns? Find out soon. And in a world where each week seems to bring new headaches and new heartaches, it is really important to grab moments now and then to recharge. So with that in mind, thanks for hanging out with us to read and talk about these fun characters and their crazy comics. Take good care, be well, and we'll catch you soon on The Ultimate Spin. Oh, my God.